0: Hi, I'm Grayson Willis. Thank you for joining us today on the podcast for Harrisonburg Nazarene Church. Be sure to subscribe for the latest updates and new episodes to this podcast. You can now search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcast, and TuneIn. Catch us each Sunday at 9 and 10.30 on Facebook Live. Also, this Sunday, we'll have an outdoor service at 9 a.m. We're going to open the word together. Uh, My friend Brian is here and he's coming as we kick off part two of our series, The Hope of Holiness. And uh, I'm excited to hear what God wants to say to us today. Welcome to those of you online. Um, Special welcome to those of you in the room. So nice to be with people who are more than heads. I want to start with a scenario and just have you go with me on it. Uh, let's say you're on a flight. You're in the middle of a flight. Let's say you're going from Des Moines to Denver. And in the middle of the flight, the flight attendant comes back and she gets on her phone and she makes an announcement in a very calm voice like they do and says, "Uh, excuse me, ladies and gentlemen, is there anyone here who knows how to fly a plane? And there's a pause and she waits and she looks and no one raises their hand. And so she points to you, you, and says, would you come forward and try? The pilot's had a heart attack. Would you just give it your best? And you say, I'm not not a pilot. I wouldn't know what to do. And she sort of drags you down the aisle. And you go into the flight deck and you say, I'm not, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not a pilot. I I don't know what I'm doing. You sit in the left-hand seat and you keep saying it, and she says, don't worry, here's the pilot rule book. And she hands you a five-pound manual. And so you start, and you know, you can feel that you're losing altitude. You're not a pilot, but you know what it feels like to go down, and you start leafing through the pages of the manual and frantically looking for help, and finally you say, I can't do this. And you throw the manual on the ground and you step on it as you go back to your seat and wait for the end. Now that seems like an odd scenario, especially one to open a message with, but in a strange way, it's an analogy for what the Apostle Paul is teaching us in our core text, Romans 8, 1 through 8. Romans 8, 1 through 8. Now we're going to be zeroing in Since this is part two, we're going to be in verses two through four. But as odd as it is, it's an analogy that works. Now, you're probably thinking, well, it's, you know, that's silly. That doesn't happen. It just happens in movies. Actually, it did happen. December 30th, 2014, United 771. Between Des Moines and Denver, the middle of the flight, the flight attendant really did come back. And she really did pick up her phone. And she said something like, excuse me, ladies and gentlemen, but does anybody know how to fly the plane? Now, in that, in the real life scenario, by the hand of God, Captain Mark Gongol, who was a bomber pilot in the Air Force, he was on the flight and he raised his hand and she took him up to the flight deck and there he found a really nervous first officer who'd never flown that equipment before, never landed in Denver, and asked the flight attendant to make the announcement. And the pilot really did have a heart attack, but they landed the plane safely, the pilot recovered, because they had a captain. So let's go together to our text. Romans 8, 1 through 8. Before we zero in on those verses 2 through 4, I want to read the whole text to keep it in context. Romans 8, 1 through 8. This is the text we're studying in this three-part series. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because... Now, that's a really important little conjunction right there. Because. Because what Paul is going to describe is... The reason why, if you were here last week, Pastor Billy did a marvelous job on 8-1. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What wonderful news. But now, because Paul is going to explain exactly why we who are in Christ are free from condemnation. Verse 2, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life, ...has set you free from the law of sin and death. Through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life... ...has set you free from the law of sin and death. Paul is introducing now two laws. And the rest of the text is going to be these couplets... ...comparing and contrasting one law with the other. Verse 3, for what the law was powerless to do... ...because it was weakened by the flesh... God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to the law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Okay, that's the big text, a pivotal sequence. In one of the most important books in the New Testament, that text is referred to by theologians as the turning point in Romans. That's why we're studying it. So let's dig in now. I said we're gonna focus on verses two through four and that's where we'll be. Because, verse two, because. Again, this is a why. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now, for those who are in Rome and for those reading and hearing this letter, They'd know what it was meant by the law. The law was the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, the rules and the practices, the 613 regulations from the Old Testament. They knew what the law was. It was the rule book. Now, they might not understand why Paul has turned it into the law of sin and death, but they know what that law is. But here Paul brings in a second the law of the Spirit who gives life and then ties it directly to Jesus. So for the rest of this message, I'm going to focus on two whys, wh First, what's the big deal here? Why does Paul make this distinction between these two laws? And the second why is, why are things the way they are? Now, I know that's a hugely broad second why, but you'll understand when we get to it. So first, let's go with the first why. Why does Paul make this distinction between these two laws? What's the point? The law of the Spirit who gives life and the law he calls the law of sin and death. Well, simply, it's because in Rome in 65 A.D., There were people preaching and people believing that in order to be saved, in order to know God, in order to be redeemed, you had to obey the law. And you had to obey it perfectly. And you had to follow the Jewish customs and practices. That was rife in this time. And Paul is saying, no. A thousand times no. The trouble is, That teaching exists today. It's what you do that gets you saved. You must do certain things to see God. And Paul is preaching against that. In fact, Romans 7 and 8 are themselves couplets. When you have time, go and read Romans 7 all the way through 8. And it is a couplet, Romans 7, the law of sin and death. 31 times in Romans 7. He references the law or a synonym and one time the spirit. But then the tide turns in Romans 8 where he mentions the spirit 18 times by name. So Romans 7 and 8 are these couplets themselves setting up this idea of the law of sin and death and the law of the spirit who gives life. This teaching that Paul is preaching against now is maybe more alive than it was then. This notion of doing is everything. Morals are more important than Jesus. I have to be good. We even invented the phrase, for goodness sake, as if goodness saves me. You see it all the time. I'm going to show you a video clip of some young people answering that question, how do you know you're going to get to heaven? Listen to the law that's on their mind and in their hearts. That's honestly a tough question. I think almost every faith has their heaven. In my opinion, I have, it hasn't been determined for me yet, just because I haven't really lived very long. Yes, uh, I'm a Catholic. I don't think many of us can actually know until we die, I guess. I do believe I'm going to heaven. Um, I grew up in the church. If you believe that you deserve to go to heaven, in a way, if you believe you're an honest and good person, that you should. I do think I'm going to heaven because I believe in God. Um, Well, I was raised Catholic, so I was raised that as long as you accept Jesus into your heart and you practice basically what you preach, then you go to heaven. I've been saved and I've been baptized and I go to, try to go to church every week and read my Bible and stuff. I, I like that idea that it's almost, if God does love everyone, that all his daughters and sons should go to heaven. I can't determine that. So personally, I don't know if heaven exists, I kind of hope it does. After my decision making lately, I might have some repenting to do but I definitely think that I'm going to heaven because I'm an overall good guy, good person, you know, um, have a good attitude and I believe in God and I go to church every once in a while. Um, I haven't really been to church in a while, but since I have accepted Jesus and I try to live by the Bible, you know, um, not sin as much and just spread the word about Jesus, then yes, I do feel like I'm going to heaven. I can't judge myself in that way, so all I can do is act appropriately and do nice things for other people. I don't know if I'm going to heaven. I think um, maybe if I, the rest of my life, I'm a, I'm a good person, maybe. I don't think this time in my life determines, well, I don't know, maybe if I die tomorrow. I feel like it's more complicated of a, of a topic than people actually think. You know, it's not just like, oh, if you do think good things, you're gonna go to heaven. I don't think it's as easy as that. I think that just, you know, doing good deeds and being a good person that, you know, yeah, I'll probably end up in heaven, hopefully. Hopefully the big guys uh, watching this one right now, you know. Sweet and smiling and precious young people. And Lord, I do hope that you'd reach everyone on this video. But I'm sorry. Paul would watch that video if he were here and he would say, that's the law of sin and death when you are depending on what you can do to be saved. Now, now we look at that video and we kind of giggle and we say, well, we know better. I mean, we know Ephesians 2.8. It's not by works you're saved, but by faith through Christ. It's not something you do, but a gift of God, lest no one can boast. We know that. But I wonder, do we? There are, there are people who have known the Lord for a long, long time, who think things like God doesn't really accept me. He accepts you, but he doesn't really accept me. What I've done is sort of something that can't be overcome. God doesn't like me, he tolerates me. God's mad at me. We think those things. We think, I don't really belong here. We look at this group of people and say, you're all accepted by God, but, but I'm not. I know this is true. I talked to someone not too long ago who's been in church and walking with the Lord and saved and baptized for at least 30 years. He's my age, and he said almost that exact same thing to me. That's the law of sin and death. A few years back, several years ago, I, I ran into an old friend in a convenience store, And I could tell he was trying to avoid me. Um, Not that generally people try to avoid me, but he was trying to avoid me. Um, Years ago, before that, I'd been in church with him. And I saw him, caught his eye, struck up a conversation. And he was kind of trying to hide his six pack and back toward the cash register and didn't really want to talk to me. And very politely, I I sort of pushed, you know, where are you? And he said, well, I haven't been in church in a long, long time. I feel like I used up all my grace. He started to tell me some of the things he'd been into, but his point was, God no longer wants me. I no longer measure up. So I'm just gonna live the rest of my life with my six pack and my sorrows. Friends, that's the law of sin and death. I know that's hard. It's a good thing Paul wrote it and not me. Strangely, weirdly, sadly, uh, my friend was killed not too long after I met him in the convenience store. He was murdered, in fact. But with all that said, with all that established, and these two laws, the law of sin and death, and the law that gives life, Paul wants you to make sure you don't think for a moment that the problem is with the law. Verse 3 For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. Whose flesh? Rhetorical. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did. The state of sin and death is not because of the law. It's because of us. We couldn't Wouldn't obey. It felt like Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden for five minutes, and they had one rule, and they couldn't, wouldn't obey it. It wasn't the law. Someone wrote, the law is the light that reveals how dirty the room is, not the broom that sweeps it clean. The law is the light that reveals how dirty the room is, not the broom that sweeps it clean. Romans 7, 7, Paul says, What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. Then Jesus himself in Matthew 5, 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. We had the rule book. We could read, but we couldn't succeed. What we needed was a pilot. What we needed was a captain. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin. You can say he condemned your sin. It's katakrino. It's a judgment. It's a gavel slamming on all the sin, and saying, guilty, death penalty. He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So now, in and through Christ, we can fulfill the requirements of the law. We don't act or do to be accepted. We act or do after we've been accepted to please God. What we could not do, Jesus did. What we could never do, Jesus did. Our captain. You know I love Spurgeon. He writes, The law could not condemn sin so truly and so thoroughly as God did when he condemned sin in the person of Christ. O believer! Let not your sins grieve you, however great or however tremendous they may have been. Weep over them, but do not be distressed about them, for they have been condemned in Christ Jesus. They may have been enormous, but if you are in him, Christ was punished for you. My sins were laid upon his hand, and in the awful moment when he sustained the stroke of his father's vengeance those sins cease to be, and that is why there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. And that's why Paul wants us to see two laws. One law came by Moses, the other by Jesus Christ. One law says, you'll live if you do this. The other says, live and then do. One law says, pay me what you owe. The other I forgive it all. One says the wages of sin is death. The other, the gift of God, is eternal life. One says the soul that sins dies forever. The other, whoever lives by believing in me, will never die. One law demands obedience by the terrors of the law. The other beseeches us by the mercies of God. One law demands holiness. The other provides it. One law stirs up the presence of judgment and wrath. The other says, rest in me. One law was born on the tablets of Sinai. The other bled on the cross of Calvary. And that brings me to the second why. The first why. Why did Paul make that distinction? Because he knew we would need to understand the distinction. But why is it like this? That's my second why. Why? Why couldn't Adam and Eve obey just one rule? Why through hundreds and hundreds of pages of the Old Testament do you have people promising to be faithful to God and then stabbing him in the back? Why have our lives proven, whether you are 12 or 112, that we don't have it in us? Why were we on the verge of crashing and burning until he came? Ever wonder why? Why is the Old Testament there? Why is that example there for us? Why are we hearing this message in this moment, wherever you are? Well, I can't give you the specific answer, but I can give you a theory. I think it holds biblical water. I think one of the reasons it's like the way it is, so we would never forget him. So in those moments when we're tempted to boast or tempted to despair, we would remember Jesus. So no matter what we face, whether pandemic or pain or pestilence, no matter what we face, we would seek his face. I think it happened this way so we wouldn't forget So in our darkest times, we would remember him. We would remember not just that he fulfilled the law for us when we couldn't do it, but because of what he did, we could be called children of the Most High God. Without him, we were eternally lost. And with him, we have eternal life forever. I think that's why it worked out that way. So we would never forget, let's remember, let's remember. Father, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. the condemnation and the humiliation and the hell of your sin on those shoulders that day. The judge sits on his throne and slams his gavel and says, because of him, sin, you are condemned to death once and for all, your sin and my sin. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free. Thank you again so much for listening today. Email us at info at for any questions about our church. As soon as you're finished listening today, please subscribe to this channel for updates and new episodes.